music ministry. Would you turn this up just a little bit for me, please? Thank you. I want to give a shout out to Sister Stasia McCoy. Happy birthday to you. Where you at? There you go. Amen. Were you 16 today? There you go. There you go. There you go, man. Would you join me in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 21? 2 Samuel, chapter 21. And I want to read verses 8 through 10. 2 Samuel, chapter 21. Verses 8 through 10. Second Samuel chapter 21, beginning at verse 8. So the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ayad, Ammoniah, and Mephibosheth, whom she had borne to Saul, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom she had borne to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Moth. Light. Then he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain before the Lord, so that the seven of them fell together, and they were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of barley harvest. And Rispa, the daughter of Aiyah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until it rained on them from the sky and she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. In between services, I was contemplating as to what or whether I should continue to repeat what I had shared this morning from the language of 2 Kings chapter 4 as we discuss the text at which the writer describes about a great woman, a marvelous woman, a prominent woman who because of her hospitality and her a mannerism in which to be generous to the prophet Elisha, in return she was granted the privilege of moving from womanhood to motherhood. She was blessed with a son 
And that son, of course, endured a moment in which God intervened to bring resurrection to his life after he had fell ill and died. But then I came upon this passage here in 2 Samuel 21, and I started thinking about the aspect of Mother's Day that not only is probably greatly ignored, but we probably would prefer not to think about it because of the tragedies and because of the pain and because of the possibility that we too might have to endure may not be the exact same thing, but we have to endure the moment, we may have to endure the moment to which individuals had to experience the death, the tragic leaving of a mother who witnesses the death of her son. This Mother's Day is one, I'm sure, as many others, filled with great joy because we are still able, mothers are still able, to place their hands on their children. They are able to hear their voices, whether by telephone or whether by FaceTime in some mode of communication in which they can be affirmed that their child recognizes the status of their presence. It also probably is one in which if we are not able to see them, to hear them, we may be very well attuned to the moment. It could be that one serves in the armed forces and perhaps in another country in different time zones, but yet internally by way of heart and soul, they know of each other the love that exists. But I could not rest without thinking as I thought about the arising of this day, this morning, to the mother of Tamir Rice, to the mother of Trayvon Martin and Eric Gardner. The consciousness during the mother days of her living, the mother of Emmett Teal, or the mothers of those who had to watch violently as their child hung from the lynching tree or the moment in which the mothers who arise this morning presently and have in the past who had to acknowledge the death now of their sons and daughters because of violence in the streets, who no longer be able to hear the sounds of the voice or watch them. How about the small children playing in the streets whose lives have been taken by drive-by shooting? who may go out today feeling extremely despondent because their child, for whatever reason, one or the other, a mode of suicide, or who had to witness the demise of their child because of a medical issue that led to death. I'm not demeaning or demoting or decreasing the effect of that kind of experience on a father, 
but it is different for a mother. For the mother is the river to which life flows into the existence of what we know now as earth. And contrary to conservative and orthodox belief who have a struggle with feminist theologians who like to identify God with feminine terminology, I have no problem with that. Because in Western civilization, we've argued that God, from a male perspective, is a God of judgment, strength, power, authority. But if you've been around long enough, and particularly if you came up in a black family of the South, I can tell you, mama can be quite as powerful and quite as demanding and quite as judgmental and quite as corrective. In fact, she might be weaker in her physical statue. She may not be able to exude the same physical strength as a father, but there is something in her internal fortitude that will strike fear in a son who might stand six foot five and 300 pounds, and his mother may be no more than four foot eight, but if she looks up to him, and reminds him, I'm still your mama, he will back down just as small as his mother is. There's something about, something in her that causes an incredible strength of extension. In fact, it, it is of such power that she will go to any length to preserve what remains dignity of her child, regardless of the state of that child. It amazes me, it amazes me reading a story about a man who was interviewing a mother whose son was scheduled to die by way of lethal injection and she said he's such a wonderful child and the interviewer says yes but your son has killed 37 people with the axe and she says yes but his heart is in the right place she knows that her problem her son has major problems she knows that he is about to die she knows that he's committed a crime she knows that he's done an evil thing and yet she will not let go that's still my child fathers we we'll cut that cord pretty quick and we will remain at a distance yet connected, but at the same time we have a way because of our own emotion to separate, but not that mother. She's gonna stand in there. In fact, she might even go before the firing squad just to say that she would stand in the gap for that child even when that child is wrong. The story of 2 Samuel chapter 21 is a strange one. It's extremely strange. And, and you won't find much out of it in terms of identifying uh, some principle of Mother's Day except one. There is one major, major point of emphasis. I've, I've called this a simple conversation about mama merely because Look at verse 10 closely, and when you read verses 8 through 10, let me just set the background. What has happened is a famine 
is in the land and David is wondering why year after year we can't get any water so he goes to God and he says the Lord what's going on why is it we're suffering a famine and God says because Saul when he was king sought to exterminate the Gibeonites and he should not have done so because a portion of the Gibeonites, if you go back to the book of Judges, a portion of them worked hand in hand to help free the Israelites. And therefore, I made a treaty with them and the treaty was I would preserve them. But instead, Saul attempted to exterminate them. And in doing so, it angered me. And so I let a famine come on Israel. And David goes before the Gibeonites and says, listen, I realize we've made a great mistake. Saul did that. Saul is no longer king. I'm the king now. What can I do to make this thing right? And the Gibeonites says, listen, we don't need silver. We don't need gold. We want, don't want anything that you have from the treasury of Saul. But I tell you what we do want. We want an eye for an eye. And a two for a tooth. And David said, well, you just tell me what it is that you want and I will accommodate you. And they said, we want those sons who are responsible for killing our people. You read the text. They took the sons of Saul's daughter. Look closely at verse 9 and 10. And verse 9 and 10 says that when they did that, they hung them to make sure that seven of them, they all died on the same day. But look at verse 10. I want you to see what this mother did. Once her child, she knew they were guilty. They were a party, a part of the party of the mercenaries who went and killed the Gibeonites. And because the king made the promise that whatever you want, we'll do it, she had to give up her sons. Can you imagine how many mothers who've sat in courtrooms knowing that their son may be committed to a lifetime of incarceration and they had to walk away from that courtroom knowing that there's a good chance they will never see them in freedom again, but they had to do it. And here it is. She sees her sons hanged from the mountain. Clear view. Death taken. We, we might call it an injustice. We might call it uh, a situation where something else could have been worked out and it could have been. But from the standpoint of this mother, look what she does. She spreads out sackcloth over the dead bodies of her sons. And look at the text to make sure that the birds of the air nor the beast or the, of the night had a chance to pick at her children. And if you think that's something, here's the interesting thing. When it talks about the barley season, this should have been a season in which they would have been rejoicing that they were going to bring in the crop or the crop was going to grow and eventually they were going to harvest it. And it started in April and ended in early October 
And every day for those months, she laid on the bodies of her dead children to make sure that the birds of the air and the beast of the night didn't devour her children. I'm talking about celebrating in the sense of Mother's Day because in this text, even though her sons were guilty of the crime, she could not give up her sacrificial spirit. She was right there on the rocks watching her children waiting patiently to make sure that the transition from earth to glory or from earth back to the dust of the earth carried its natural course and not be assisted by any fowl of the air or beast of the night. But the story didn't stop there for me. I not only saw the sacrificialness of this mother, but then I ran to the New Testament and came to John chapter 19 and saw the sacrificialness of a son who recognized his mother and made sure from the day forward of his death, his mother would be well taken care of. It's Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. And Jesus, in the moment of handling the eternal business for you and I, stopped. He stopped twice on the cross in dying, long enough to save, redeem a thief on the one side. And then he stopped long enough to look out. And if you read John 19, beginning at verse 25, here's a chilling presence and depiction of a mother. The Bible says his mother is standing at the foot of the cross watching her son being crucified. Oh, I, I know we're going to get real spiritual and say, well, you know, she knew because God chose her that her son would eventually have to die on the cross. Ask any mother even after knowing that must happen, does that make the journey any easier? She's standing there. And Jesus looks out and says, Woman, behold your son. Yes, I'm fulfilling divine calling of dying for the sin of humanity. And then he looks to John and says, Behold your mother. Take care of mama. Mother's Day is going to come after I leave and I won't be here to say to her, Mama, I love you, but I want you to take care of my mama until you can do so no more. I just came by to say that there's a good reason why we need to celebrate Mother's Day and there's just a couple simple things that both of those texts remind me that we really need to do. I'm reminded of a word that comes from uh, Robert Browning, the English poet, who says that motherhood, all love begins and ends in motherhood. And I got to wrestling with that because there's a tension developed there when he says begins, but when he talks, ends. Be because I don't know any mother who's lost a child and the love ends at the grave. The love's still there. In fact, every day it may even grow stronger because of the absenteeism. But, but yet, what was Robert Browning trying to say? Very simple. 
at the moment of conception, there is a love relationship that develops that no one can ever fully understand but the mother and the child. And when that child is laid to rest for any reason, that love doesn't conclude. In fact, it only extends that they might celebrate a reconnection in eternal glory. I, I found that we should celebrate on this glorious day for a couple of reasons. As I said, Jesus stopped dealing with eternal matters for us that he just might take a moment to care for his mother. But then there was something about what the woman did in 2 Samuel 21 and even what Jesus did, and that is a telling unto us that you really ought to, on this day, tell your mama how much you really love her. That's, that's no profound, new philosophical, theological discovery. It's simple. All you have to do is take a moment and ask yourself the question, would I be here had it not been for my mama? I, I thought I'd get a little bit better amen than that. Oh, oh, maybe your conclusion is, but I don't get along with my mama that well. I, I don't know my mother that well. I don't really know who my mother is biologically. Great. I understand. Got you. But still ask yourself the question, if it had not been for whoever she is, would you be here? And I raise, I raise the challenge. If if your, if your reluctancy to celebrate who she is is because there's a gulf between the two of you, there's a difference between the two of you, I asked you, ask yourself, if that gulf is that deep, what is it? And then I will promise you, I said eight times out of ten at eight o'clock, but I'm going to say nine times out of ten, whatever it is, it's not that deep. And it's not that deep grave of a situation where you can't recognize if it hadn't been for my mother I would not be on this earth on this day and I would not be fulfilling the promise that's in my life all because she gave life unto me that's what I love about Genesis chapter 2 when it's or chapter 1 when it tells about how God separates the earth or the the ground from the sky and beneath the waters and how through her in that very symbolic language mama in her womb housed the waters of life that gave me life while I'm floating in that sack of fluid have you ever thought about that never drowning never suffocating and yet, when the time comes, you ever thought about the great glory of giving birth? Somehow, by divine implication, I don't care how I am, when it comes time for me to come out, I situate myself around to the birth canal where my head is facing down at the exit point and the doctor can bring me out. And because of that, if you were born without a problem, if you were here today and you don't have a problem, you don't have a birth defect, you ought to say, God, I thank you for my mama that you gave me if it hadn't been for her. So whatever difference we have, it can't be that deep. 
when I came into this world, they placed me in her arms. And she looked at me with great excitement and amazement and began to nurse me, give me life. And I recognized who she was. And that deserves a mama verbally, I love you for who you are. Oh, but, but my mother was an alcoholic and my mother was a drug addict and my mother was abusive. I got you. But at the end of the day, guess who she still is? She's still your mama. She deserves a verbal thank you and I love you. For that's what the woman of second uh, second King or uh, second uh, Samuel 21 did she she could not physically and verbally now express that to her child so she physically laid herself on their broken demise bodies and how many mothers in this room who took work time off from work who who saw the the depletion the challenge of their child because of some illness or some sickness that took upon their body, who, who gave of themselves, bring that child close to them that they might provide the warmth and the need. There's a psychological advantage to what Africans do in their own raising of children and allowing their children to sleep with them in the bed while they are growing as opposed to what we do in Western culture, put our children in a bassinet or a baby bed. There's a psychological difference between the two. And eventually that child who's sleeping close to their parents grows up with a strong, and I mean a strong, neuro neurological system because they have felt the closeness of their parents, unto, particularly their mama. And even in her older years, in the evening of her years, there's nothing like your mama's touch. Her hands are wrinkled. Her skin no longer has the elasticity. Her steps are far shorter now. Her sight, she may barely see you. Her hearing is less accurate as it used to be. But there's something about the tremble in her voice still will bring tears to your eyes. When you remember and rewinding the tape of what your mama has done for you and what she has endured, and might I add, that's only what you know. You don't know what she did for you that she never will let you know. That's what a mama will do to preserve her child told in the Gospels what happens to Mary after Jesus dies. It, it would be amazing to me to find out what it was, but I want to have a suspicion to believe that not only did John take care of her, but I want to believe that Mary often thought about the travels with Jesus and the things that he'd done. And remember that he was a boy, a small boy at one time, playing outside in the dirt, came into the house with his snotty nose, 
with worms in his hands, with Dave, uh, little daisies in his hand, telling his mama, I brought you a gift of flowers. And yet he's the savior of the world. Or I want to believe also that Jesus was rejected by friends who told him he was scrawny, could have said a whole lot of different things, and maybe he came home and cried to mama, and mama said, don't, don't worry about that. You are who God made you to be. And how many of us have been dejected and rejected in life, and the only good counsel we could resort to was mama, and mama had a listening ear, and after conversing with mama, mama just had the right words to say at the right time, and when she said it, it reversed all of the bad that happened and made life so much better. Or how about when you injured yourself and then you got home and mama just took your hand, didn't really do anything, but just kissed it and she said it will be all right and we actually thought that was divine healing in itself. But it worked. She deserves to hear us say, I love you. But there's something physical. Jesus pointed to John and told him, to take care of her, and the woman, as I told you earlier in 2 Samuel 21, physically spreaded her body on top of her deceased sons. The giving of herself that they might be preserved. If you grew up in the South, and some of us may have grew up in the North, I did, uh, and the labor that our mothers endured to get us prepared to go to the next level of life. The jobs. And the thing about the jobs is I'm not sure nor do I have an insight into the possible humiliation, discrimination, agony she suffered going into the job every day, suffering from evil and ugly things said about her. But she never stopped laboring because she had me in mind. She had you in mind. The putting of her pennies together to lay away for us toys for the Christmas season. The taking of what little we had, and God knows I don't know how, because I was raised by my grandma, I don't know how she did it, but what looked like so little on the table yet fed so many. I don't know how she did it, but, but she can take and do a whole lot with one something. It didn't matter what it was. Didn't matter what it was. She could make it spread. And she knew how to sacrificially give of herself. Picking, I remember my grandma picked beans who picks beans picks beans picked tomatoes picked corn did things that would 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 seem so menial and receive very little in terms of compensation and yet endured it that she might buy me the tennis shoes that I wanted 
uh, you had to live long enough to remember. We used to have a store called SNS Crescent. Anybody remember that? Yeah. You go down and buy a pair of tennis shoes for $2. Now, they didn't last long, but you got them for $2. But that was a lot back in the day. She sacrificially gave. And because she did that, I should not only love her verbally, but I should love her physically. I, I, I should, should not only love her with my mouth, but love her with my arms and squeeze her and just, listen, I'm 56 years old and today when I see my mama, this is going to sound childish, but it's not childish to me because it's an identifying factor of me. My mother has what I call grandmama arms. And you know what that is, don't you? That's, that's them arms that's just got a lot of fat. And whenever I see my mama, I want to get under her arm and I just rub all that fat underneath that arm. Yeah. 56, I still do it. That fat feels so good and soft and spongy. And it, it just, it, it makes me feel like a child all over again. And I do that because physically, that's my mama. And I humorously, humorously, humorously ask my mom, Mama, how do you know that I'm really your child? And she humorously tells me back in return, because I got the scar to prove that you are my own. I said, Mama, that scar could be from anybody. That doesn't necessarily mean it was me. Oh, I know it was you, son. I can give you the time, the day, and how the weather was outside, and how you were acting when you came into this world. And even now, I physically sense the assurance of my mama when I rub on them arms. Or when I hold my mama and feel her cheeks. Because mothers say, I gave all that love to you while you were growing up. Can I get a little bit now in return? And I tell you what, you don't realize how critical that is until that last moment when your mother is stretched before an altar. And you have to watch the lid of that casket come down and you never again will witness the physical presence and the feel of your mother. That's why I'm trying to alarm you today. I don't care what it is, go on give her a hug. Go on give her a kiss. In fact, I'm always thinking, I, I, I don't care how much my mama gets on my nerves, I have to ask myself the question, how many times did I get on mama's nerve when I was growing up? We gotta love him verbally. We gotta love him physically. And I told you in 2 Samuel 21, the barley harvest season was supposed to be a time of celebration. Can you imagine each birthday now should be a time of celebration that her seven sons are deceased? But yet, from April to early October, she still celebrated that day, lying there, 
on the deceased corpse. It's hard for us to imagine that in our mind, but when you love your children, you'll go to the ends of the earth to make sure that they are accommodated, which suggests that I not only should love them verbally, and not only I should love them physically, but finally I should love them patiently. For me to think about someone lying on a dead corpse from April to early October, that took a lot of patience. And yet mama was patient with us as we grew. I, I came upon this interesting thing that I thought was funny when I was looking at trying to get prepared uh, for the day. And it says that uh, not only does mothers have an incredible job, and might I add, with no pay. I mean, help me, Mama, do y'all get any compensation other than the love of your child and seeing that child grow up? Ain't no pay and get no raises, no increase, no nothing. But the position has no comparison uh, in terms of physical, emotional, or spiritual uh, when we talk about comparing motherhood to those who work in a world. And don't, don't make the mistake of telling a mother that they don't have a job in a real world when they are raising children. You, you don't want to do that. Because raising children is a real world, trust me. They rise up at the break of dawn, and through her task, she runs. Oh, and yet the Census Bureau says motherhood is not a job. When breakfast is done, they do the dishes, they cook, they repair clothing, they make preparations, run you here, run you there, and the Census says it's not a job. Here's the point. In spite of all that she does for us, she doesn't become impatient. Oh, we may hear a little retaliation or a little anger, but she doesn't leave us. She doesn't abandon us. We get used to the things that she does, and we almost take her for granted. My mother will pick it up. My mother will iron it. My mother will get this done. She's, and when she picks us up at school, we expect for her to be on time. If she's five minutes late, we want to know where were you and why are you late. Might I add, the many times we've been late at what we have done in terms of being a child, yet she doesn't remind us. Love her patiently because she's tender to your needs and there's no reason for us to take advantage of her. In fact, we should love her to the point where we're not only patient, but it's a patience that endures. Here's a letter from an 80-year-old woman on her birthday that she writes to her children when we talk about patience. She says, I quote, to all my children, I suppose my up-and-coming birthday started my thoughts along these lines. This is a good time to tell you that that what I truly want are things I can never get enough of, yet they are free. I want the intangibles. I would like for you to come and sit with me for you to be relaxed. Now, 
I thought about that in my own context. When we go visit our parents, we're always such a rush that we want to get there and see mama and say the right things, and then we got to get back. And this mother says, I want you to come and sit and relax and talk with me because there's no guarantee when you come back, I'll be here again. She says, we can talk together or we can be silent. I just would like for us to be together. She says, I need your patience when I don't hear what you say for the first time. I know how tiresome it is to always have to be repeating yourself, but sometimes I must ask you to repeat yourself. I need your patience when I think too much about the past with my slowness and my set ways. And if your mother is anything like my mother, they got some set ways. And you want to change them, and you know, like I know, that's the worst thing you can try to do is try to change them from their ways. Let me tell you how I know that's true. My father-in-law, I really believe to this day, a man who pretty much was a farmer, but he also was a greensman for a golf course. But my father-in-law, even as a greensman, would always had some hogs. And he would feed those hogs every day. And I believe that my father-in-law loved more to feed those hogs than he did to keep the greens green. But my father-in-law got to a point where they took the hog away from him. They took all of those things that meant so much to him away. He had a set schedule what he would do. And they took that away from him. You took a significant part of my father-in-law's life away, trying to change him. And in doing so, you damaged him. And so I'm here to say, listen, again, my mother, my mother, my mother irritates me sometimes with her set ways. My mother just got internet. My mother now uh, is learning, hasn't learned yet, is learning how to text. Now, to you and I, she need to come on up. But my mother doesn't like internet. She wants you to send her your stuff in the mail. She want to see a hard copy. I said, Mama, you need internet because, you see, it's the same copy. It's just electronic, and you can read it. No, no, I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I said, Mother, when they text you, it's instant. It's, it's just like, no, no, no. I can see, if I got, they can't hear me in no text. <laughs> Set in her way. I said, Mama. Why do you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning? There's no reason for you to do that. You live where you work. Why do you get up at 5 a.m.? Your office, you don't open office hours until 9 o'clock. What you up at 5 o'clock for? Don't try to change me. That's my schedule. I said, well, Mama, you hurting. You feel bad. I know, but I feel worse if I don't get up out to bed at 5 o'clock. Don't try to change them. And so I just receive her. I don't even... I don't even, I can call my mama now and I can't get her for weeks at a time. Mama, where were you? I decided, you know what? 
as long as I don't get a phone call that you're in bad shape, I know you're all right. It's your way not to answer the phone unless you want to answer the phone. I know you see it's me calling you. Don't you know when I call, you're supposed to answer the phone? Now my mama. Now my mama. In fact, my mama, when you call her, when she finally decides to call you back, I said, I called you about three weeks ago. I know. <laughs> I, saw, I, saw your, I saw your number. Well, well, why didn't you answer me back? Mama busy, baby. Doing what? You ain't got to go nowhere. You work right where you live at. What, what are you busy doing? Now you know your mama. That, that's it. Be patient with them. Now that my mother is getting older and she is physically, physically no longer as mobile as she used to, now I'm starting to struggle with all of the impatientness that I expressed unto her. And yet I'm starting to understand you got to endure where she is because that's who she is. Can you imagine those who came to this woman in 2 Samuel 21 every day and told her, you got to let it go. They're dead. They're gone. Let it go. And she said, uh-uh. This is my child. And even though they are gone, the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field are not going to have them until they are finished decomposing. And that's what mamas do. And people had to be patient with her process of grieving. And I'm here to tell you sometimes things take longer for mothers to get over. In fact, sometimes they never get over them, so it takes them longer to adjust. And then finally, love her attentively. Love her attentively because she listened to all of the stuff in your life. When I call my mother, she likes to talk a lot about her job, and it just gets on my nerves. It really does. It drives me crazy. And I, one day, I just thought, I started telling her, Mama, I didn't call you to talk about your job. I called you to see how you were doing. But then it dawned on me. That's her life. That's where she is. That's what she's connected to. And all of the times that you cried to her and talked to her, and she probably didn't want to hear your drama either. But she listened. And now, in this part of her life, she needs for you to listen attentively to whatever she has to say. Yes, it may be boring to me, but it's everything to her. And I believe that Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, and Mary looked up at him, and I think that after Jesus had died, Mary took for a moment to remember all of the conversations that she had with Jesus. But now, Jesus doesn't have the luxury of seeing his mother grow old and embrace her where she is. And I say to you, love your mother verbally, Tell her that. Love her physically. Hold her. Love her patiently. Endure her. And then love her attentively. Listen to her. 
because the day will come when the voice is silent and the memory has been etched and the presence is no more. And all there are pictures and sweet memories, I hope, to remind you of who your mother is. And my heart goes out to those who have suffered the injustice of the land, those parents, mothers who've had to watch their children brutally murdered, killed, violently attacked. I couldn't begin to imagine the pain that exists in their heart on this day. Or, who, or what mother who has lost her child, whether it's through sickness or whether it's through some other means, I couldn't imagine what pain her heart endures. I can only pray and hope that you can see Jesus in that child and that the love of God can comfort you in the hour of bereavement. See, for me, bereavement is not just when a person dies at that moment, it's extensive. It can go for 20 years. In fact, I've heard people say, even though their mother has been deceased for 20 years, every day, not a single day goes by when they don't think of their mother. That reminds us of the value of taking advantage of the moments to which we have. To every mother in this house today, may God continuously bless you and favor you as you attempt to raise your children. May you allow the grace of God's power and glory to shine upon you and through you and may you be a walking example to your children of what it means to hold on to God's unchanging hand and may they see in you Christ the hope of glory that they may ask as Deuteronomy 6 tell us what is it how is it who is it that gives you the strength that you have and we can tell them about a man named Jesus who not only forgives sin, but who not only restores in power, but who can turn your life in a direction that brings fruit in due season. I believe that that sister in 2 Samuel 21, her harvest was not in the field. It was in the satisfaction of knowing that she laid herself out for those months. And when the barley time of harvest came, she was rejoicing knowing that her children had entered into the space of eternity. And I know that Jesus was glad that when he gave his mother to John, that he was assured that John would provide the necessary care that his mama would need. Everything is not about profound sayings in a sermon. Sometimes just a simple conversation about an individual will give you all the information you need to move forward in the name of Jesus the Christ. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.